This has been one of the most effective psychological operations that has ever been conducted on the public in human history. The high priests of central banking started running with this narrative and people have come to believe that it is a law of physics. Economies cannot operate efficiently unless there is a steady flow of new monetary units being created and introduced into the economy. If new money units aren't being created, people will hoard their money and grind the economy to a halt. The Best in Bitcoin Made Audible I am Guy Swan, and this is Bitcoin Audible. What is up, guys? Welcome back to Bitcoin Audible. I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. And uh, and mostly because uh, I really liked the framing of this piece. We're doing a read today. Uh, so not only did I really like the framing of this piece, but this seems to be coming up more and more. And I think we're actually making a lot of headway. Like like from a cultural sense, the people who have grown insanely distrustful of our institutions are less and less buying into the nonsense that we are told about how great counterfeiting money is for society and how dangerous, how dangerous it is to let people save money. And there's so many different framings that we talk a lot of them, talk about a lot of them in the guys take afterward. Um, But to make sense of why this is such an absurd concept and one of, uh, we've read, I don't know, like five or so of Marty's bents, maybe maybe more than that, it's been a while. Um, and he always has like great little bite-sized stuff. I will have the link in the show notes, actually, if you if you aren't subscribed to Marty's bent. Um, it's a really, really fun one. And it's always like little bite-sized dropped knowledge. And uh, it's a highly, highly recommended, I guess, quote unquote, newsletter. I don't know. It's one that I always enjoy. So check them out. I'll have the link in the show notes uh, to this piece. Uh, but this one is on hoarding, on quote unquote hoarding. And it is essentially a, uh, a thorough response to a tweet from Nick that we will get into in just a minute. This show is brought to you by Fold, the Fold debit card and app uh, that lists, literally lets you get sats back on everything in your life. If you aren't stacking sats this way, you are missing out on a huge easy way to accumulate Bitcoin. Then another great way is with Nodeless. If you go set up a nodeless.io donation page, which literally takes up 30 seconds, a minute, I don't even know. Um, and it's a no KYC account, no subscription, no obligation. Literally just go over there, set it up, create a donation page. I'll send you 10,000 sats and you will have the pleasure of checking out the Nodeless platform. And all of these sats you are going to take and you are going to withdraw to your cold card hardware wallet and you'll get 9% off with code Bitcoin Audible. Links to our sponsors, uh, which is a great way to support this show, actually, um, are available in the show notes, plus promo codes and free sats and all those goodies. So with that, let's get into today's read, and it's titled, Hoarding is a Keynesian Slur, by Marty Bend. Tweet by Nick Magelli. Hot take, some inflation is a good thing. No currency should be able to buy the same basket of goods over very long time spans through hoarding. If you want to retain the purchasing power of your money, it should participate in society via investment. Marty's retweet. 
the fiat maxis really don't want people to save money. Quote, No currency should be able to buy the same basket of goods over very long time spans through hoarding. End quote. This is a line that people who have been infected with Keynesian brain rot like to trot out. In fact, it is one of the cornerstones of their convoluted economic theory and drives central bank policy decisions around the world. The ability of money to increase in purchasing power over time has been made impossible due to the fact that central banks have a baked-in inflation target that they use to create, quote, price stability. It's weird that Nick Majuli thinks he's providing the world with a hot take, because what he is saying is conventional wisdom in mainstream economics today. This has been one of the most effective psychological operations that has ever been conducted on the public in human history. The high priests of central banking started running with this narrative and people have come to believe that it is a law of physics. Economies cannot operate efficiently unless there is a steady flow of new monetary units being created and introduced to the economy. If new monetary units aren't being created, people will hoard their money and grind the economy to a halt. Unfortunately for humanity, the normalization of this line of thinking has led to the wholesale debasement of people's purchasing power, especially those who do not have enough money or access to store their wealth in the financial and real estate assets that benefit from the flows produced by monetary base expansion. The policy of targeting a steady rate of inflation to induce price stability has widened the gap between the haves and the have-nots, which is the root cause of many of the stresses that plague our world today, yet are commonly misdiagnosed as being caused by partisan politics or corporate greed. The reality is, quote, hoarding money, otherwise known as saving money, is not detrimental to economic growth. In fact, it is an accelerant for economic and productivity growth over the long run, because when humans are forced to think more strategically about capital allocation and opportunity costs, they tend to make better investment decisions that result in an increase in the quality of goods and services that are ultimately delivered to the market. The increase in quality goods and services leads to others being able to leverage those goods and services to do more productive things throughout the economy. Beyond this, the idea that saving money leads to stagnation throughout the economy is based on the assumption that each individual actor within the economy is operating on the same timeline with the same information. This notion is completely ludicrous. People have different needs, different wants, and different balance sheets at any given point in time. On top of that, they have access to different information that would affect their investment decisions, the timing of those decisions, and how much capital they decide to put to work. When push comes to shove, People are going to dig into their savings to buy a new car, do repairs on their home, go to the grocery store, or start a new business. They are not going to hoard their money at the detriment of their quality of life. Furthermore, those who save money and keep it out of circulation are increasing the purchasing power of that money for everyone else, which will inevitably tip the scale for an individual who is thinking about starting a new company that provides certain goods and services to the market that are needed. The economy isn't some monolithic actor. It's the combination of billions of individual actors who are making decisions based off of their individual needs, wants, and their capacity to act at that particular point in time. Hoarding is a Keynesian slur that is used to trick people into believing that saving money in an attempt to give themselves optionality in the future is a bad thing. 
when in reality the exact opposite is true. It's a very good thing. Keynesian policy is the actual scourge on the planet. It takes away the individual's ability to effectively save their purchasing power over time, which reduces the optionality they have in the future. That reduced optionality leads to enormous stress and despair for the common man. Final thought? Thank God for the rain in Austin this week. This show is brought to you by Fold. If you have a debit card and you're not getting paid sats every time you swipe it somewhere, then you're missing out on literally the absolute easiest way to consistently save in Bitcoin without having to do anything. I really think people discount the amount that you can get from just having a tiny piece of all of the things that you do stack up over a long period of time. I am just shy of a quarter of a Bitcoin, 0.25 Bitcoin in sats back with Fold since I started my account. I did not buy this quarter of a Bitcoin. I got it basically as a tiny rebate paid in sats on all the things that I pay for. And there are a ton of different ways to maximize in the app. You can use gift cards to major merchants. Amazon has 2.5%. They now have boosts that change every so often to get extra sats at certain places. You can even pay for your streaming with cards. You can get 2.3% at Netflix, 9% back at Sam's Club, and tons more. Plus, the listeners of this show can get 100,000 sats for free just for setting up an account and getting the free version of the card just to try it out. Details are in the show notes, and you can find it at the link bitcoinaudible.com slash fold. You know, we talk about this idea about hoarding and deflation and savings and all this stuff a lot. But the more, the more like you internalize it, the crazier it seems that we ever believed something so absurd. And to equate the idea that saving money is a refusal to participate in society is mind-boggling. Like, that mental framing is so insane to me. Because the act of saving is literally the act of producing a surplus and not actually consuming it. You're the only person contributing to society if you save money. That's it. Nobody even has capital to invest unless there is somebody running a surplus somewhere. Now, the first thing that Marty says in this that I thought was really funny um, was just that <laughs> Nick is positioning this as a hot take. And it's about as standard as normal, basic economic propaganda gets. It's like going up to any average person and then saying, now, this is going to seem like a crazy idea, I know but I believe government should exist. Like, I don't think we have the same definition as to what hot take means. But the framing of this just gets to me. Like, the, it like, like flip it over. Think about what inflation is, what inflation does, what it means to create money out of thin air, and then spend it into society. Like, his, his line is, no currency should be able to buy the same basket of goods over very long time spans through hoarding. So, no one should be able to save money and it actually stay saved. In other words, people should not be, this is framed as a negative, for people to earn a certain amount of value by creating that into the economy for other people, and that they could get that value back at a later date. The money isn't the value. 
We don't eat the money. The reason you get money isn't so that you can have money. It's so that you can get other stuff. Have you ever asked someone what they would do if they had a million dollars and they would and they didn't say that they would get uh, they would obtain something that they wanted, that they would buy a house, they would buy a new car, they would take their family on a trip around the world? The money itself isn't the actual good that anyone wants. It's just a translation tool. It just communicates the value that you have put in and translates it into the value that you want to take back out later. It's a record-keeping system for who has actually contributed to all of the things that we need to consume and have a high standard of living. So to say that they shouldn't be able to save money and get that value back later is to say that they shouldn't get back what they contributed to their society. And think about the flip side, is the notion that the solution to this is to inflate the money supply with a central institution that buys up all the assets, which means they're explicitly not contributing anything, not earning anything, not doing any of the work, and they're buying up all of our stuff. They're the purest possible example of contributing absolutely nothing and taking all of the things that we need to live. That that is the moral superior position than merely letting the people who contributed to society get back exactly what they put in. And instead, what they are obligated to do is go to the stock market. They're supposed to not only earn the money the first time, but they're also supposed to learn how to become investors and financial analysts just to keep the value that they already earned once. Which obviously no normal person has the freaking time to do. Nobody has the energy to both be their speciality, to be an engineer and a market analyst or a stock investor. Somebody has to work years and years to become a teacher and then can't even keep what they earn unless they learn how to trade or they just dump it into some indice run by BlackRock where they get all of the control over everything and the person is getting constantly screwed because they have no idea what the hell they're doing. They're just forced to play this big stupid game and put all of their capital, their retirement, their savings, everything that was supposed to be better for their lives into a giant bloated casino of a financial system that literally believes it is entitled to all of our money. The notion that it is us saving what we actually earned to go toward our family and what we hope to have in the future and our standard of living must be handed over to them so that they can gamble it away, betting on all of the assets that get inflated by the very flow of new money that gets dumped into society. It's just a subsidy paid by the poor and middle class to fund the rich. That is all it is. And think about how often... There's a, there's a really great line in this, and I want to take the time to break this down it says quote unfortunately for humanity the normalization of this line of thinking has led to the wholesale debasement of people's purchasing power especially those who do not have enough money or access to store their wealth in the financial and real estate assets that benefit from the flows produced by monetary base expansion so i want to break that down where all the money is created it is funneled through the banking system. It is created through fractional reserve banking, through debt issuance, through bond purchases, through quantitative easing, through all of the mechanisms that attach the central bank and the government and the ability to issue new debt and new currency out of thin air into the banking system. It all floods through them. And when they are looking for a place to park the money, it is beneficial to park it in the scarcest asset available because it is inevitably going to outside, have an outsized price increase 
against everything else. And then that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. As soon as new money is rushing into real estate and rushing into uh, the financial markets and the stock market, all of these things are going to inevitably uh, increase in price far faster than all of the other things, all the basic consumer goods and things in society. So what happens, there's this scramble to get all of these assets. You dump money into the stock market and you give it to huge corporations that you otherwise would not have given to. All the investment funds are running running out and trying to use this money, this loaned, uh, you know, below market printed money as fast as they can to buy up all of the houses where we all end up renting. And the price is going up by 15%, 30% year over year. And the middle class is getting further and further away. The, the plan and the ability to afford a house turns into, I think it was, you know, it used to be like three or four years of the average salary would pay for the average home price. Whereas now it's like 10 or more. And who gets screwed the worst? The people who make the least. The people working on low wages who do not have a money, enough money to save anything. We're talking $5, $10 a month. They're not going to get a stock market account. They're not going to have access. The people hurting the absolute most in society and trying to get ahead are hit harder than anyone else because that $10 is already lost $9 worth of value in relation to the house that they hope to maybe one day be in. And they need a 15% wage increase at the end of the year just to break even with what they had already been getting paid. While the rich spend all of their time just gambling in the stock market and they buy up all of the hard assets, which not only keep up with inflation, but have an outsized increase in price, which means that the, the wages lost by the poor are literally the subsidy paid to all of the rich people's assets. The poor and the middle class are being forced to walk against the moving sidewalk and the rich are walking with it because of where money starts and how it flows through society. And this is all claimed to be a benefit for the economy. And this utter boob literally frames this as if it's not only better for growth, but that it is morally superior to the notion of simply letting people who earned something keep it. There's another quote um, from this short bent here. It says that it's not, not only is saving money not detrimental to the economic growth, in fact, it is an accelerant for economic and productivity growth over the long run. Because when humans are forced to think more strategically about capital allocation and opportunity costs, they tend to make better investment decisions that result in an increase in the quality of goods and services that are ultimately delivered to the market. Now, I think of this as a second layer way of thinking about the benefit of saving money. But I think there's even a more fundamental layer to go to that only what we have saved is what we are actually able to consume. That the very notion of uh, hoarding money being bad for the economy or consumption being the driver of the economy is fundamentally backwards. Consumption is a product of production. If you only have two sandwiches, you cannot consume four. So if you create new money out of thin air in order to make it appear as if four people can afford to eat a sandwich, what you actually do is you have four people bidding up the price of two sandwiches. So you just double the price of the sandwich. But there are still only two sandwiches because that is the only real savings. 
But when you actually have this giant, organic, multi-layered economy with billions of people participating, it doesn't show up that way because you can never make it as simple as are there two sandwiches and how many people are buying it. But that underlying reality is there. There's no level of complexity or layers of production that can change. That That is fundamentally what's going on. All you do is obscure it so it's easy for someone to come up with some bullshit propaganda line about it and it not appear that way. And if you have statistics like GDP, which are absolutely garbage at measuring genuine growth or innovation because there's no measure of quality, you don't know if something is fundamentally better than the next thing. All you're doing is measuring. Essentially, if you just print a shit ton of money, you'll get a whole bunch of GDP because it will just be it will just be a ton of apparent activity in the economy, but it's just a bunch of people who got counterfeit money buying up a bunch of stuff that they otherwise wouldn't have had. Like if you just gave everybody a million dollars, yes, you'd consume a bunch of stuff. But again, it doesn't mean that you made more sandwiches, just the opposite. It's literally putting the cart before the horse. It's saying that if we could decide to consume 100,000 sandwiches, we will have 100,000 sandwiches when you just can't eat them until they exist. So instead, what you actually do is you encourage the breaking down, the dismantling and consumption of our capital goods. So if you have a manufacturing plant that's making and selling sandwiches and there's only a thousand sandwiches and you issue a bunch of money to for 3,000 sandwiches, well, after you've bought up the thousand sandwiches that actually exist, well, it now makes sense to consume the seeds which were going to be used to make the ingredients for the next line of production. So going back to the idea that printing money in order to increase consumption, to make us make consumption appear to have occurred that is just not sustainable without production first is is a whole lot like it's like saying that, you know, when it gets warm outside, the temperature goes up or the thermometer will increase the temperature reading. It's a whole lot like saying that if we raise the temperature like going in if we just manipulate the temperature that the, what the thermometer says then it will also be warm when one when the thermometer's reading is the product it's the output of the fact that it got warmer and in that same way the consumption is the consequence of the production it is only because we have produced a lot that then we are able to consume a lot. You cannot consume first and produce later. You can't run society on building houses today and cutting down the trees tomorrow, just owing all of the resources we need to create the things. And if you start tipping the society in the towards the imbalance of eating the thing first before making it, you essentially, you literally just run out of stuff on a long enough timeline. You just consume everything. You just dismantle all of the capital, you eat all of the sandwiches, you eat all of the seed, you have no harvest for next season. And then the Keynesian psychotic solution to this is to double down, issue more debt, and force more consumption onto the society. Go, just literally eat the dirt, consume anything. Because if we just use it all up, we'll be infinitely rich. And the boogeyman in this scenario is normal ass people just saving money and it's still buying them what they earned three years later. Quote unquote from Marty Bent, this notion is completely ludicrous. And it's funny too because it's not one reason that that's the case. There's like a hundred different reasons why this is a terrible idea, why this is so perfectly the opposite of the truth. That's why I'm doing the little uh, guy's take, which I guess in a sense are like video Marty Bent's or <laughs> Marty's Bent 
but I'm doing the little videos that started with uh, why your dollar ain't shit. If you haven't seen that, I'll have the video in the show notes for you. Um, uh, people seem to enjoy that one. Uh, and I've got another one basically on this idea. But it's funny, you attack it from like a hundred different ways. So not only can you just eviscerate the entire argument just on the na- just by defining what savings is and what debt is. Savings is the creation of goods that you don't yet consume. And uh, debt is to consume something that you haven't yet created. I mean, I, honestly, I think any reasonably intelligent first grader could tell you which one of those was sustainable and which one wasn't. It's really like you have to have an economics degree to believe something so dumb or just tricked into not thinking about it. Just told the same line over and over and over again every day, all through your entire life. And then kind of like subtly demonized and, you know, morally demeaned by the notion that you would actually want to make your own situation better and that you would want to keep something that you earn, that it's greed to keep what you earn. And it's not greed to want to take something from somebody else. I mean, any sensible person who doesn't, you know, want to spend hours going down that rabbit hole and actually thinking and challenging ideas that they've just been kind of fed by default for their entire lives is just going to kind of accept the the concept. And it's not like it's not like that makes you stupid. I, I mean, everybody is there. Like, I mean, it's the default. It's what everyone is told over and over again. It's just a lie. And it's not like a little bit of a lie. It's a complete and total reversal of reality. But then there's the other thing, actually, that um, uh, that Marty Bent was talking about in kind of the second layer of this is what happens when it is actually a trade-off to when your savings actually is keeps what you earned. Well, then you would actually make prudent decisions. You would actually not just stupidly go throw it at anything with four letters in the stock market and let BlackRock do all of your investment decisions because you're going to lose, you're going to, you would actually keep it. If you don't do that now, if you don't just dump it into the stock market and let them gamble all of your retirement savings away uh, on, you know, real estate and get some sort of index like return over a long period of time, well, then it just disappears. So you don't have a choice. You just have to give it over to somebody else. But if it actually sticks around, if your $10,000 in savings today will buy you 10% of a house and in 10 years, it'll buy you like 15% of a house. You'd actually think really hard about where you put that. You would care about the quality of the investment. You wouldn't just blindly throw it into the financial markets. And in that same notion, there's, there's an extremely scarce amount of resources that we have actually produced. You can, we can run out of that. And every single investment that we make uses up those resources, those, that scarce time and labor and energy that we actually have to produce. If we are actually pricing out high quality investments and pricing in stuff that no one would ever bother putting their money into, you actually degrade the value of society because you've made things that aren't actually profitable in a context of value appear profitable when it comes to monetary terms. So it's like imagine sound money is like this perfect glass of water that's just pristine and it's completely pure and there's no, you know, toxins or dirt or anything in it. Well, if that's what you got by default, if that was your standard, well, then the only investments that you would make and and let's say everybody total only has like one glass to invest in what we might do with this clean water. And so we have to be very deliberate about where we allocate the water that we do have, the savings that we have. 
And so let's say half of it goes into making uh, some delicious tea and the other half goes into investing in coffee. Well, saying that you need inflation to encourage investment is to say that we should explicitly make the water muddy and dirty and we should put poison in it. And that will, quote unquote, encourage investment. But what it actually does is it makes all these businesses in the middle ground of just like kind of like sort of filtered water and like kind of shitty river water that's at least not poisonous. Now all of these things become investable businesses. But it doesn't change the underlying reality that we still only have one glass's worth of resources to invest. So what happens is half of the investment gets taken up in this gap between shitty poisonous water and just normal water where now we have to split up 25% in tea and 25% in coffee. And in fact, in fact, making tea and coffee is a whole lot more risky than just cleaning the dirt out of the water. So maybe 75% of the investable capital, the real resources, the gas, the electricity, the machinery gets put in the, the gap between dirty water and just normal ass water. And there's not anything left over for tea and coffee. And even worse is that because GDP has no con conception of quality, it can't understand the value of something. All it is doing is looking for, it's just chasing numbers to get higher and higher. It doesn't care that the trade-off was to lose tea and coffee in order to just get like kind of shitty murky water. The GDP went up like 20% because we just printed a lot of money and a whole bunch of people invested in a bunch of kind of shitty water businesses. And to them, it's indistinguishable from genuine innovation and real risk taking in the economy and actually caring about what the hell the money is going toward. It creates this massive distortion in the economy that makes wasteful things look profitable. And again, all of this is chased. Because we must at all costs avoid the boogeyman of people who save, keeping what they earned. Now there's actually about 20 other ways to attack this argument and uh, break it down, but I'm not going to do it all. I've been writing like a ton of these little guys take videos, so keep an eye out for those. I'll post those on Twitter and Noster and, uh, and YouTube as well. So if you want to subscribe, I'm trying to break these down into like three minute to five minute like bite-sized things to really hit at the heart of these ideas because i think demolishing this uh, marty is totally right this is an, a profound propaganda campaign it is such an incredible historical psychological attack on common sense and if we do anything in bitcoin we can at least teach the basics of how things actually work and in every possible way that we can we must dismantle this absurdity so subscribe to Marty's Bent, uh, follow me on Twitter and Noster and YouTube or wherever your preferred platform is. And uh, hopefully, and I also really, really appreciate feedback. How was the guy's take on this piece, uh, the article, um, which was the analogy that made the most sense to you or seemed to give you any aha moments? Or if you have a good argument or a good analogy on this sort of things, please share it. I think the the more ways that we attack this idea and the more times that we cover it and the more complete our argument is from head to toe, uh, the, the dumber they look by still pushing the same crap. So let me know, uh, uh, shoot me some feedback and subscribe so you don't miss them. Uh, with that, uh, I still 
for anybody who signs up with Nodeless. I'm still doing this, and I've had a lot of fun with this, actually. Um, go to nodeless.io slash guy. The link is right in the show notes. Set up a donation page. This is, you don't have to subscribe to anything. You literally just go in, make a normal account with your email, no KYC or anything, and then you can just make a donation page, and I can send you sats, and I will send you 10,000 sats. I will be your first donation uh, posted on Noster or Twitter, or I guess I, I can't guarantee that I'm your first. Somebody else might donate, but I will be your 10,000 sat donation to your calls, uh, and just go check it out and explore the tool. Then, of course, after you get those sats, send them to your cold card hardware wallet and also uh, go withdraw from Fold. If you've got sats that you've stacked with your debit card, go withdraw. Send them to your cold card, too. Not your keys, not your coins. Don't forget it. With that, uh, we will close this one out. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I will catch you on the next episode of Bitcoin Audible. Until then, everybody, take it easy, guys. I favor the policy of economy, not because I wish to save money, but because I wish to save people. The men and women of this country who toil are the ones who bear the cost of the government. Every dollar that we carelessly waste means that their life will be so much more the meager. Every dollar that we save means that their life will be so much the more abundant. Economy is idealism in its most practical form. President Calvin Coolidge